Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and we are broadcasting as we normally are from inside Renaissance Bank in beautiful Alpharetta. And if you're looking for a bank that's not going to embarrass you because they're in the headlines of the newspaper on Monday morning, uh, I think you know what I mean by that if you've been watching the financial headlines here this year. Um, Renaissance Bank is your choice because they've got a rock-solid balance sheet. And not only that, but they are big enough to handle pretty much any need you can throw at them and small enough to do it in a personal way. That's been my experience with Renaissance and I think it will be yours too. They deal with uh, all their customers in a, in a real uh, family one-on-one basis. So go to renaissancebank.com, find one of their local offices and give them a call. I think you'll be glad you did. Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. Now I want to welcome Karen Weinstock. Karen is with Weinstock Immigration Lawyers. Karen, welcome. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Uh, So let's talk about you and your firm, how you serving folks out there. So I am the managing attorney of Weinstock Immigration Lawyers, and we are a full-service immigration law firm um, that uh, helps companies and individuals achieve their American dream. Mm -hmm. And we do that by solving immigration problems. So we offer uh, help with getting work visas, uh, green cards, family-based immigration, U.S. citizenship, all, all, all things related to immigration. That's a big job. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yes. an, it's an unwieldy system. We'll get into that. Uh, and you help people navigate through an unwieldy system. But uh, let's talk about you for a second before we get into your work specifically. Um, why immigration? Out of all the different legal disciplines you could have picked coming out of law school, why immigration? So I actually grew up and was raised in Israel, Mm. and I moved to the United States as an immigrant myself um, after law school. Mm -hmm. So initially, I did uh, corporate law for a couple years, and it wasn't really a good fit. And then, um, okay, why not immigration? Because I really went through the whole thing myself. I mean, I couldn't rent an apartment. I couldn't open a bank account. Mm -hmm. It It was very, very... Um, strenuous, especially at first, to get settled. So um, I went through a lot of hoops and hurdles and, well, why don't I do, you know, that and help clients do the same thing? Yeah. So um, I partnered with an immigration law uh, law firm out of uh, Tennessee and um, got a job there and then opened the Atlanta office and things just, I love doing immigration law. It's very rewarding. Yeah. And you're dealing with people at... um often a pretty traumatic time in their life, right? Or, or if, if it's not traumatic, it's certainly uh, trying. Yeah, it's very stressful because people are not sure if they're going to get their visa, mm-hmm. they're going to uproot their entire family to move from another country, or they're already here. So it's, it's a very anxious time and stressful time for the clients. Yeah, yeah. So you're as much a handholder. You're certainly a legal <laughs> expert, right? But you're you're holding hands a lot, right? Yes, absolutely. We have to hold hands. We have to lower the anxiety level with clients. We have to tell them, okay, 
and maybe the government is going to take six months or maybe a year, but you're going to get it. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about just the question of immigration generally. And I guess maybe the way to address it is the misconceptions that you see out there about immigration that people have. So the biggest one is that the undocumented population can choose to come here legally and wait in line in some type of invisible line Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist Mm. and come here legally. Mm. That's the biggest misconception, um, including the children who came here, here as children and all of that. And the reality is, and the truth is, that there is no visa to bring in temporary workers like that from another country. Unless you are educated and you have a bachelor degree or higher, and even then you have problems, and we're going to talk about it uh, hopefully soon. Mm-hmm. But unless you have you know, all of that, you cannot get a temporary visa. And no employer is going to sponsor you to come in from another country in that manner. Mm-hmm. So there's no line. There's no visa you could come on. And then most people, what they do, because they're very poor or they don't have any resources in their country to make a living, like in Mexico, for example, where a lot of people come from, or Guatemala and Honduras, they just, you know, El Salvador, they they have very bad conditions in their home country and they can't make a living. So they just sneak through the border. Mm -hmm. And once you are here illegally for more than a year, you can't really fix your status. There's nothing you can do with very, very few exceptions to fix your status. So there's no line, there's no legal way to get here, so people basically come illegally. Right. And it's not like folks are coming and they're not able to find demand for their labor. The labor is very much in high demand. Yeah. Um, because you, you ask any business owner and they'll tell you my heart are you know, my hardest workers are immigrants. Mm-hmm. But the the difficulty part is there's really no visa. And I have had many conversations with business owners in many industries that say, well, you know, I have great employees. I want to make them legal. I want to sponsor them. I want to give them life here. But it's by the time they, they call me, it's too late because they can't. And they're stuck in that situation because if they go back to their country, they cannot come back to the United States. Mm. And if they stay here, they just stay with the same job or the same life that uh, of being undocumented. So what I, what I think I heard is, is that a, a employer that wants to sponsor an undocumented worker, they need to figure that out within a year. Yeah. Very quickly after yeah. they arrive. Yes. Right. After they arrive, and uh, hopefully they've had enough time in unemployment to get a sense that this is what they want to do for that worker, right? Yes. Right. So what are what's involved? And and this question really applies not just for undocumented workers, but for H one B visas, which we can get into. But what's involved in sponsoring a worker, um, an employee for a, a visa? So this really depends on the type of visa, mm-hmm. um, but generally what it is is you have to file a petition with the U.S. Immigration Services, USCIS, uh, and it's part of DHS, and you prove that the employer is has the need and has all of the requirements. 
you prove the same thing for the employee that they have all the requirements for the job, uh, whatever education experience, and you you file the petition and with all the, the documents, the evidence, and the immigration service considers it. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's more difficult than others. For some companies, it's more difficult than others. For example, if you're a startup and you don't have much resources, that's going to be more difficult than if you're a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. So it, it just depends on, on the type of petition. And for some petitions, you have to go through Department of Labor because Department of Labor is a prerequisite step before you go to immigration service, they want to make sure that you protect the U.S. workers. They want to make sure you protect, as an employer, you protect the foreign national workers. Mm-hmm. So there's an additional scrutiny and additional step from Department of Labor before you even go to immigration to file a petition. Well, let's drill down on that because, um, I mean, does the Department of Labor recognize that there's like a worker shortage in this country or do they? Do they is that something you have to convince them of? Uh, you really have to convince them. Okay. And that's the sad part is, yeah. you know, if you want to sponsor, for example, there's many IT occupations that have, you know, been in shortage for, I don't know how many years, but still Department of Labor does not recognize that there's a shortage in IT. Mm. So you have to go through the same individual petitions one person at a time. Even though, for example, there's a, let's say that you, you are an owner of an IT company. And let's say you need uh, 10 programmers, uh, 20 developers, and 15 system analysts. You would have to go through sponsoring each and every person individually if you wanted to do that. Instead of saying, okay, I will advertise the position according to the regulations. I will try to find U.S. workers. And if I can't, I need all of them. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work that way. Mm. In other words, it's it's not practical. No, it's not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the picture here. Uh, from Karen Weinstock, folks, uh, managing attorney, Weinstock Immigration Lawyers. So let's talk about the particular issues with H-1B visas for professionals. Maybe you can describe uh, that visa and then talk about the various issues that are involved with that particular visa. Yeah. So what a lot of people who are anti-immigrationists will say, it's like they would say, oh, we have the H-1B visa. That's a visa that any company can bring professionals over. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of legal immigration. So, and that's a falsity. And I'll explain why. Okay. So the H-1B, the H-1B visa is available for professional employees so those who have a bachelor or a higher degree, including the master's of science, the PhDs, and they are coming here to work in an occupation that requires a specialty occupation, which means to enter into the occupation would require at least a bachelor degree or higher. So what happened in the last 50 years with the economy and uh, proliferation of occupations a lot more employers require degrees even for entry-level education, you know, entry-level position, and they require specific education for all kinds of position. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Even for me in my law firm, even as a receptionist, I would require a degree because we are a professional law firm. We deal with uh, a lot of clients from... So, but if, if you ask Department of Labor, 
or the immigration, they would say, well, it doesn't require because you, you don't really need a degree to enter into a receptionist position, right? So they're, they're uh, from their position uh, well away in Washington, they're determining what you may or may not require in your own particular business. Right. Yeah. They just look at the occupation overall. Right. Or for example, nursing, because there's such a shortage in nursing, what happened is the, the hospitals lowered the requirement from a BSN, a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, to ASN, to an associate's degree. Mm-hmm. So because they wanted to open up the opportunity to more people so they would have to go to school for less time, et cetera, et cetera. But now nursing is not a specialty occupation. So you can't sponsor a nurse, for example, for an H-1B visa generally because of that problem. So you have more of a shortage of nurses and it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, it's like a chicken and egg and it's like a, a snowball that's kind of rolling down the hill and you can't stop it. Right. And how often do these uh, regulations change? So immigration changes daily, yeah. but the big types of visas and for example, the H-1B, the biggest problem with it is the congressional mandate uh, that there's a cap um, by Congress on how many visas the government can issue each year. Mm. And this cap has not increased in like 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's just insane. So the demand, obviously, as you can imagine, has increased a whole lot in the past 30 years. Right. Um, more and more degrees are awarded in U.S. universities, especially for people who come here as students from foreign countries and pay out-of-state tuition. They pay a lot of tuition to go to our schools. And then when they graduate, we tell them, well, we're not going to have a visa because we only have 85,000 visas available for you, for everybody in the United States, which is a drop in the bucket. Yeah, I was going to say the cap is just pure numbers, absolute numbers, as opposed to like a percentage of the population. So if, if it hasn't changed over 30 years and the population, I don't, I don't know exactly, but it's probably doubled over um, 30 years or maybe more. Um then the percentages are going down, right? In, right. In terms of, of the numbers that are allowed in. Right. But then the, the, the sheer number of occupations that actually require a degree now have increased substantially because right. 30 years ago, for example, a programmer did not require a degree. Mm-hmm. But now you talk to any employer, they would require a computer science degree or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Right. So there's more occupations that would require a degree now there are more people graduating from universities and especially in the sciences, we need more people mm-hmm. and we do have a shortage of science workers mm-hmm. and technology workers, but the cap has stayed the same. And what has happened over the past few years is more and more people apply and less and less people get in. So the government has this uh, crazy lottery system um, and the, I think this year, um, the lottery was held in March, mm-hmm. and there were about 10 people applying for each slot. So there's about a 10% chance of you getting accepted into the lottery, which is insane. Right. Wow. And those are all legal immigrants. Yeah. That are, most of them are here on student visas. Mm-hmm. Most of them are here and have jobs, and, ha- and the, all, of them, all of them have an employer who wants to sponsor them. Mm-hmm. So- what do they do? I mean, probably they they have to go back. Right, right. So there, that's 
that's a ten percent chance just to get in a lottery, which by its own by definition has some sort of probability to it, right? Well, the lotteries they take everything, everybody um, out of the pool. Uh-huh. So there's about there were about seven hundred eighty something thousand applicants, and there's only eighty five thousand visas. So it's about 10%. It's a little bit better than 10%, but it's about 10% chance of getting selected. Now, after you get selected to the lottery, you have to your employer has to file a petition on the employee's behalf mm. with immigration and maybe gets approved and maybe doesn't get approved. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. I get it now. Um, so what 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 is this, uh, I guess, the we, – we, we can talk about the tactics, I guess, for an individual um, – company and uh professional or worker or what have you but uh, what what's the what's the big picture solution to this and is there one that's ever going to come because this has been uh out there for a long long time with no uh a political agreement on how to go forward and how to resolve the issues so i think the best solution would come in steps the first step would be to increase the cap on temporary visas like the H-1B. There is another visa that's called H-2B for temporary employees that are not requ- do not require any skill or education specifically. Um, you know, people who work in hotels, uh, cleaning bathrooms, maintenance, um, landscaping jobs that are seasonal, things like that. The visa would have been fine, but again, the cap is so small. We probably need over a million temporary employees a year, mm-hmm. and the cap is sixty-six thousand. Mm. So, increasing the cap on those the H one B visas, the H two B visas, and also the immigrant visas for green cards for legal employees. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a backlog anywhere from three years to twenty years. If you're an Indian national and you have an advanced degree you would probably wait 20 years on the legal side of immigration to get a green card. It's insane because wow. of, it's just insane. Mm. Got it. So let's, let's talk about this from a company's point of view. And I re- we've got different types of visas. I get that. But in general, is it worth it for a company to go through this process? I mean, if you've got a business owner out there that's thinking about, um, their employee situation, they've got a worker shortage, a shortage of labor. Um, does it make sense to, to go through the pain of this uh, process? So most of my clients would say yes. And the reason for that is twofold. One, if they have a shortage, they need to get their hands on whoever they can get mm-hmm. and fill the position. And if they find somebody who is really good, they're going to support that person and they're going to sponsor them because they want to keep that person. Mm -hmm. And the good thing with the immigration backlogs and all those filings and things like that is they're going to probably going to receive a loyal employee who's going to be there for longer term than your average American worker. Mm -hmm. So they would say yes. The other um, reason why they would say yes, in, in some occupations, they have no other choice. For example, we represent a lot of hospitals, mm. uh, rural hospitals mm-hmm. that you know a lot of American doctors don't want to live 
in those small little cities in the middle of nowhere. Right. And there's a huge medically underserved population in those areas. And so there is a way to attract foreign national doctors to these areas to help the U.S. overall and, and the population. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the other part of it is sometimes business owners find foreign national workers who are willing to work better and they really want to sponsor them because obviously they're a better employee. They're mm-hmm. more qualified. So for example, a foreign national employee would have a PhD versus a U.S. employee who would have uh, a master's or a bachelor mm-hmm. for the same position. Mm. So they would rather have the more qualified person than just any employee for whatever role. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask about the loyalty aspect. Are there any sorts of, uh, is there any sorts of data that would show that employees that you take through this process and and you get, get their um, immigration status, you successfully uh, get their immigration status approved that they're, they are stay on the job longer, stay with an employer longer. There is data out there, and also just the length of the process itself. Mm. They'd have to stay for two or three years just to go through the green card sponsorship. Right. So it's right. It's a good bit of time, anyway. Yeah, and they're they're really wedded to you as an employer because they have to stay there, or it, it all falls apart. Right. Right. Yeah. Got and, it. Yeah, and even if you have an H one B visa, for example, as an employee, and you're here legally. For you to jump to another employer is going to be much harder to take that visa and go to another employer because that would require a separate petition from the new employer for you. So, as you said, a lot of employers are weary of sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So they would say ahead of time, no, I'm not going to do the sponsorship. Yeah. Um, that sounds like there may be a competitive advantage for those employers that are willing to, to do this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because... What I understand from what you're saying is the most employers are kind of wary of the pro- of of doing that, so they're not going to do it. So if you if you're willing to do it, you're you're uh, you may have a competitive advantage, right? Yeah, you know? and that's why obviously employers hire people like us because they don't know how to do all this, right? So we help them go through the process and and we coach them, we educate them, and um, and it's a lot of it is again the the fear of the unknown. Right. In a lot of cases. Right. What? So let's say an employer, they have a particular, um, uh, maybe a prospective employee they want to hire or uh, an employee that's already on, um, on the payroll that they want to get permanent status for. Um, talk through kind of how that conversation unfolds in terms of what, how you work with that company and that particular employee. So what I would do is schedule a consultation and usually the employer would be on the consultation and sometimes with the employee as well, sometimes without, it just depends. And I'd receive the employee's resume, look over their credentials, uh, look over the job description and have a conversation with the employer. You know, what is your goal? What do you want to do? Do you want a long-term solution, short-term solution, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then we come back with a strategy during this consultation. We figure out a strategy that's best for them. And um, if the employer says yes, 
we said, okay, let's start. Mm -hmm. And what is, is the aggravation more in the cost of this process or the length of it? It's really the length of, Mm -hmm. of time for permanent residency, the cost. Yes, there is a cost. Yeah. Um, Ironically, it's it's actually costs less than hiring a recruiter for somebody in that position. Really? Yeah. That, that's interesting. Say more on that. Well, if you figure out a recruiter's salary or fee is 25 to 30% mm-hmm. or to 33%, depending on the occupation, per the first year, our process is probably half that. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty compelling. Um, it very interesting. Um, so Karen, I would love it if you could maybe put some flesh on all this, if you will, and maybe share a success story or two that, um, you you obviously don't can't share names, but just situations where you're pretty proud of the results that you've gotten, uh, given the obstacles that you've, uh, encountered in terms of trying to get, uh, uh, this work successfully done. Oh, wow. We have a lot, a lot. Um, <laughs> the the stories that come to mind most are the ones who use other attorneys or other law firms, got denied for a visa or got denied for renewal of the visa. Um, one executive, uh, for example, a few years ago was a CEO of a technology company. He got the first visa for the first year, filed a renewal, and got denied he already relocated here with his entire family. They mm. were, um, they closed series B or series C. I don't remember. And he was needed here because he was basically the brains and the, you know, the, the managing all of the entire operations. Sure. And, um, and we were able to file a new petition, get it reversed, get the visa approved, get the families to stay here. It was very, very, it was one of the proud moments. Wow. Um, we have a lot of those where we just, you know, very difficult cases to get approved because once you get denied, like immigration would be in a mindset that you're not worthy of the visa, you should get denied and go back. Right, right. And you're, um, so what is it about Karen Weinstock's special sauce that allows, makes this happen? Because you obviously, um, the big firm didn't make it happen. What, what, what is it? that differentiates you such that you're able to get this, uh, the outcomes that you get? So we think creatively a lot and we really think outside the box. I know it's, it's people always say, I think about outside the box and Mm -hmm. they don't really do it. Um, I think being from Israel helps move that um, with the entrepreneurship nation and startup nation and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, And with, with a big law firm, they just, um, copy and paste the same petition over and over again because they work mostly for large employers. Their positions are about the same. And um, a lot of them just don't encounter challenges. A lot of my clients, especially starting on 20-some years ago, they were small startups, they're mom-and-pop businesses, and you had to be creative. You had to put forth a lot more effort into preparing the petition and think more creatively before you do that in order to get the petition approved. Mm-hmm. And of course, now we represent Fortune 100 companies and global companies. And um, But to have a diverse set of clients from anywhere from very small startups or mom and pop shops into 
those huge global 100 companies um, gives you a diversity in the client base mm. that and diversity of petitions and you just get better with time in terms mm-hmm. of strategy. Mm. And so um, that, that was what happened is continuous improvement. It's that the Japanese Kaizen principle is gotcha. continuous, never ending improvement. Gotcha. Well, that's um, modest of you to say, but something tells me you you do special work. Uh, there's something special about Karen and your, your colleagues at your firm that make this happen too as well. So, Yeah, the teamwork that we have. So we have international an inter- international team of about 20 uh, people from, I don't know, 10 countries. Mm-hmm. So we really try to be as diverse as our client and we brainstorm. And, and I think the, the thing that, really differentiates we really care about the client mm. and they know it they feel it like we really do everything that we can to see if we can get them a positive result mm. and to work our butts off basically yeah. to, to make sure that they uh, they get a positive result that's terrific great work from karen weinstock karen is uh founder of her own firm weinstock immigration lawyers and Karen, this has been terrific. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your work, and congratulations on that great, great work. We're delighted we could share, the, uh, shine the light on it. But before we let you go, let's get to the most important question, which is how folks can get in touch. Uh, the best way is to go to our website, which is visa, like a visa card, dash pros, P-R-O-S, which is short for professionals, mm-hmm. and we are known as the visa pros. Um, so visa-pros.com. Or call our office, set up a consultation, send me an email. Um, we are very easy to find and we are mm-hmm. very easy to communicate with. Yeah. Terrific. Karen Weinstock, Weinstock Immigration Law. Uh, Karen, thanks again for coming in. Thank you for having me, John. Absolutely. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder. If you've got some dysfunction in your back office that involves administrative tasks, uh, maybe you've, your uh, bookkeeping consists of a Nike shoebox with <laughs> a big pile of receipts inside. Um, you need some help, and that help can come from Office Angels. They have a whole team of angels that have various expertise and talent, and uh, the chief executive angel there, SCS Cabido, picks out the best angel for you, and they fly in, get the job done, and they fly out. And they do it on an ongoing or as-needed basis. You can go to officeangels.us to learn more. I suggest you just pick up the phone and call Essie, 770-442-9246, and let her know we sent you. I think you'll be glad you did. And I know, I'm pretty sure of that because I use their services. They do great work. And just a couple of quick reminders as we uh, walk out the door here on this edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I've got a book coming out later this year. It's called The Price and Value Journey, Raising Your Confidence, Your Value, and Your Prices Using the Generosity Mindset Method. If you'd like to know more about that book or the podcast of the same name, you can go to pricevaluejourney.com. Also, a big thank you to you, our listeners. You have uh, supported our show uh, just tremendously well over the last seven years that we've been doing this show. We're now up to show number 660, something like that. And uh, you have continued to share the show when you have heard someone, a business leader like Karen, who does great work and you think, ah, I know someone that needs to hear about 
Karen and her work or one of the other great professionals we've had on this show. So please continue to do that because you help, um, certainly help them. And you also help us fulfill our mission to be the voice of business in the North Fulton region and beyond. So thank you for your support. We're grateful for you. So for my guest, Karen Weinstock, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.